Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. I thought today we could talk a bit about some Austrian specialties like wine or bread or some special kinds of oil. So keeping it a little Catholic here. These are all specialties that I would very much recommend if you ever pass your time in Austria. But they might not be on the top of the list of specialties that some tourist guides might recommend to you. So these are my, my personal tips for you. The first specialty I'd like to show you is Uhudla. This is a wine that's only allowed to be grown in a very small number of places in the very east of Austria. And it was actually illegal for a while. And depending on how legislation continues, might become illegal again. So I hope it won't. It's a rosé. As you can see, it has an official logo, and this one actually won an award, gold, I don't know, a golden nose apparently. In terms of wines, it has a very unique taste profile, it tastes of wild strawberries, you know, the really little ones you might find in the forest and of black currants. This is usually called a foxy wine. And Austrian wines don't actually taste like that. Most of them are dry white wines or red ones like Zweigert, but they don't taste the wild strawberries or black currants. The reason is that this is not a purely European wine. If you're from North America and you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you might actually be familiar with the flavor of this because part of the grapes that are used for the Uhudla are called Concorde. And the Concorde is the grape that's used for the grape jelly in PB&Js. Other types of grape are called, for example, Delaware, or Noah, or Ripatella, and they have something in common. They're all a mix of European types of grapes and the ones that are native to North America, so they're a different species. Now, why did that happen? Why would winemakers in the very east of Austria, in these small places, mix these types of grapes. The reason is that in the 19th century, a catastrophe happened to European wine. Rootstocks from North America were brought to Europe and those were infested with phylloxera, which is a little louse. 
and it usually doesn't do anything to North American plants because they're used to it, they had time to become resistant to it but the European plants all started dying so obviously that was pretty bad and winemakers were desperately trying to find a solution to that issue one thing they did was to mix European wine with North American wine, which is how you got, uh, for example, these kinds of grapes like Concord or Isabella, which are now used for the Uhudla. Eventually, they realized that you can use North American roots and then graft European plants on top of them and they will grow just fine. That's what happens pretty much anywhere in the world today. Even in places like Australia, where this kind of louse hasn't been introduced yet, it's probably just a matter of time. There are very few places like some islands or very specific regions where the louse can't survive, where they still use plants growing on their own roots. So, problems should be solved, right? But you have some new kinds of grapes and new flavors in your wine. Well, in Austria Eco Band, that was back in 1938, and the reason it was given is that the Uhula apparently has higher amounts of methanol, which is not very good for your health. But this is actually perfectly fine to drink, so you don't have to worry about it. There are also some other um, not very nice names for wines like these, like Rabiatperle or Heckenklesche, which all basically express that it makes you aggressive or hysterical. It's not the case. You know, it's, it will affect you just like any other wine. There's nothing particular about the Uhula. Eventually it was allowed again, but only if you drank it at home, so you couldn't sell it. You could still produce it, drink it yourself, share it with your employees or a small group of friends, for example. So a limited number of people, but it wasn't allowed to be sold. Until eventually something happened that caused it to be banned a second time, but it wasn't the fault of the Uhudla. If you're a little older than me, you might actually remember this happening. In 1985, a really big scandal pretty much destroyed the Austrian wine industry, the antifreeze scandal. It was discovered that some Austrian wines were mixed with an ingredient that's commonly found in antifreeze. And Millions of liters of wine had to be destroyed. Austrian wine was banned from being sold in the US. Nothing could be exported anymore. And the Austrian parliament rushed to introduce some new legislation to make sure that this wouldn't happen again. And in the course of this, the Uhudla got banned as well for a second time. They 
Austrian wine industry eventually recovered. It took 15 years. And in the meantime, the antifreeze scandal even made it onto an episode of The Simpsons as a joke. So it was really quite bad. But in the long run, it led to a much improved quality. And today you also get different wines, more drier wines like Winnovetlina, or when it comes to the red ones, Zweiglet, for example, whereas before you usually had very sweet ones. In terms of the Urla, it obviously got unbanned at a certain point. And you can see here, it says Verein der Freunde des Urhodler, 30 Jahre, 30 years. So in 1992, it was allowed to grow the grapes for the Urhodler again. However, only in 25 places and only until 2030, and then the current legislation runs out. It has to do with the grapes growing on their own roots, which is a bit of an issue, but so far these have been doing well. And the Urla is really quite popular. You can also get um, jam with it, for example, which is very nice. You can get it as mild wine in winter, which I love. And I just think it's a really unique kind of flavor that's worth trying. And I'll just show you where you can find it. Let's make a bit of space here. city cards is here. And right here is where you find the Burgenland. It's bordering Hungary and Styria and Lower Austria. And the Uhula is grown in the districts of Güssing and Jenasdorf. in the southernmost part of Burgenland, right here. There is, by the way, another kind of wine that is sometimes confused with the Uhula, where people assume it is also grown on its own roots, but it's actually a separate wine. It just used to be mixed sometimes because farmers would grow both kinds. That's the Schilcher. The word comes from shimmering because of its shimmering color. And this one's grown in Styria. 
nochmal hier. Tschüssauf auf Graz, St. Stefan, Steins, Deutschlandsberg, Kostö, Corinthia. There is even a route that you can follow called Schilcher Street, or Schilcher Route. In terms of produced wines, this only makes up a very small percentage, but it's quite well known. And it also has some of these beautiful uh, strawberry uh, notes to it. Has to be made though from a different grape, which is called Blauer Wildbacher, and it has to be grown in Styria. In 1782, a Pope came to Austria and tried it. At the time, he called it pink vinegar, so I guess he wasn't impressed. But it has a very, very long tradition. The grapes were probably already cultivated more than 2,000 years ago. And since we are looking at Styria here, you can see this here being the borders into the Alps here in the west. Let's talk about another specialty from this part of Austria. This is called the green gold of Styria. It's pumpkin seed oil. And if you've had any doubts over where it's from, it says Steirisch right here. Second time here. There on the back. One, two. So four times altogether. And in fact, it is a protected expression, an appellation of origin. So it has to be from Mysteria. In Austria, it's pretty much associated exclusively with that part. But I read today that it's actually also common in Hungary, in Slovenia, in Romania, so many different parts of the former Habsburg Empire. But we didn't really have it when I was a kid. It's become very popular somewhat recently. It's made from a special pumpkin, the Styrian oil pumpkin, that is grown only to use the seeds, which are roasted and then pressed. And you get this beautiful black oil. I'll show you what it looks like. You can't heat it, by the way, so you would traditionally use it in salads or maybe with some goat's cheese. In Styria also with uh, scrambled eggs. And if 
I've also seen it used in ice cream. I did try that at one point, but I'm not entirely convinced by that. So you can see it has this beautiful dark green color. It's a little mossy. A very strong smell. A little sweet. And I feel like the texture is also quite special. I feel like it tastes a bit soft, if that makes any sense. And one interesting part, I don't know how well you can see that on the camera, is that the oil is dichromatic. That means if you look right here, where you have a lot of oil on the side, it looks more red or brown in color. And only when you spread it so it's thin, it looks green. It's quite fascinating. Stereo generally is known also for apples, but today it's mostly associated with pumpkin seed oil and maybe uh, associated with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's from there. Two of my friends moved to Austria from abroad and they actually say that pumpkin seed oil is their favorite thing they've discovered in Austria. So do try it. Alright, and lastly, I feel like we need to talk about bread. So, in Austria it's a bit like in Germany, we're very particular about the kind of bread that we have. And for example, if an Austrian asked you for bread and you gave them a piece of toast, they would not be happy, they'd probably return it to you. I feel like most Austrians also don't consider something like baguette or focaccia as real bread. It's bread, of course, but Austrians would expect something like this. A sourdough bread made with wheat or rye, sometimes also with seeds or I particularly like the ones with walnuts. Lots and lots of different varieties, but that's generally what people think of when they say bread. But of course, we also eat, for example, bread rolls, so it's not like we don't like white bread. And the most commonly eaten bread roll is this here. And similar. Let's just put this here on the side. And 
I feel like it's hard to really express how central a semel is to Austrian diet and to the culture as a whole. You would have this for breakfast, you can have it in the afternoon as a snack, you can have it with your main meal. Where I come from in Upper Austria, it's also part of traditional meals. I know it from funerals. So afterwards, when the family would go and eat together, you would start your meal with a semmel with aniseed on top. In other parts of Austria, they are used at weddings, for example. And if you're looking for a quick snack in the afternoon when you're hungry, you might have this as a sandwich. You cut it open and then fill it with a schnitzel or leberkäse or just cheese, pretty much anything. Leberkäse, by the way, is also an Austrian specialty. I'm vegetarian by now, but if you do eat meat, I do recommend you try it. It's a bit like a bologna. And the schnitzel I recently found out is a hot dog in the US. It's not a hot dog here. But you too can put a cold schnitzel into a simmer and you have a quick snack in the afternoon. It has this typical shape that is like a windmill on top with five parts. And this one is created using a machine. So these are stamped basically or pressed in before it's baked. But the original simmer, so to say, when it was made by hand, was actually folded. You can see that quite nicely here, that this was folded in. It doesn't have the same perfectly round shape. It's a bit darker. And it usually has one side where it's a little more uneven because the last piece needs to be tucked in. But in terms of how it smells and how it tastes. This is really lovely. It's worth trying. And I bought these earlier today, so they're not as crispy anymore as they were in the morning. But normally this would be very crispy on the outside. And then if you open it, you have this really soft dough on the inside. This smells really nice. And like I said, you can have it as a savory snack or with butter and jam or honey. In the 19th century, it was said that whoever couldn't afford a simmer was a poor man. In fact, this is called a Kaiser Simmer, so named after the emperor, which is pretty much the highest praise it can give to anything. We know that these Simmer has been around since the 18th century, since it's depicted on a painting of the court of Maria Theresa. But it's probably even older than that. And the name, uh, interestingly, comes from Latin, 
Simola, which just means white flower. And these are pretty much, I think, unique to Austria. I don't think that you have the same kind of semel in Germany, but maybe someone can correct me on that. So, there you go, those are my recommendations. If you spend some time here, you can try some Uhudla or Silcha. Get a salad, or if you are in summer, some ice cream with pumpkin seed oil. And try a similar. Right, hope I didn't make you too hungry. If I did, then enjoy your snack. And if it's time to sleep, then I hope you'll have nice dreams. I'll see you again next week.